Welcome back to the Flat Out RC podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking planes, helis, and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you live from the land down under, Melbourne, Australia. This is your first time here. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to click on subscribe. Go back and listen to some of our older podcasts. There's plenty there for you to listen to. Now, big episode. We have, we're talking jets today. We've got uh, a guy by the name of Derek Pontarolo, all the way from Northern Queensland. Not Northern Queensland, sorry. Northern Australia, up in uh, Southeast Queensland. Northern Australia, Southeast Queensland. I know, a lot of North South in there, but uh, he's from up north. Uh, and Derek, a great guy in the jet scene, um, especially around the Queensland region, some awesome jets. So stay tuned. We're having a chat with Derek. But uh, I've got to tell you what I've been up to this weekend. Well, last weekend, actually, because uh, a lot of flying. Stay tuned. Well, in and out of lockdown has been the situation here in Australia. But uh, look, we've been out of lockdown more than we've been in really in recent times. We had a little mini lockdown a few weeks ago now. Uh, but I managed to get to the flying field this weekend, and I'm talking Saturday and Sunday flying, which is abnormal. And it, there were plenty of events on. There was a uh, a scale event on down here in uh, the state of Victoria where I am. Uh, there was a, a, a an event out at the Karangamite Club in um, Camperdown. So I know there was a lot of people traveling around to get back onto the event scene, which is great to see. Uh, IMAC competition up at Cootamundra. Saw the boys who are out there have a bit of a crack at it but I got to my local flying club which is at the moment probably one of my preferred methods I just need to get some flying time in and there's no better way to do is go to your local flying club and just have a great session so I went Saturday and Sunday perfect flying weather no wind both days dead calm Saturday got the 100cc out the big 3d hobby shop slick 104 inch slick with the big EME 120 up front I'll tell you what the EME 120 on the JTEC slimline dump mufflers with a 29 by 9 Falcon prop. It, it goes okay. Pretty noisy, though. Uh, a lot of prop rip with the 29 by 9 uh, Look, it, it was one of those props that was that Falcon did some testing on and says it's good for 3D, and that's what I set the plane up for. Well, it's ripping like uh, crazy, so I might have to prop it down in the long run just to get it quieter because I know that the club's getting a bit worried about noise, and it's not really the engine noise that's the problem, it's the prop ripping. So I had some flights on that. There was another plane I thought, oh, my Sebart Mythos pattern plane, took that out as well, the electric, and uh, once again, the prop and the spinner fell off the plane mid-flight. If you follow Flat Out RC on Instagram, you would have seen on the Instagram story the photo of the propless pattern plane i didn't even bother to go and look for the spinner and the the prop it was in a paddock somewhere and i didn't want to risk stepping on a few snakes and through cow doo-doo so i just left it there and the problem is i put an os motor in it an electric motor os electric motor and the the prop adapter is is like a clamp i know there's a more technical term but it's like a clamp and it just comes loose all the time so I think it's time to change, and I'll probably go to a dual sky motor. But I'm still tossing up with it, keep the plane or not. That is my tricky. Just don't know what to do with it at the moment. Anyway, bit of thinking to do. Sunday, woke up, said to the missus, "Can I go flying again?" She said, "Yep, go." Went to go and fly my Explorer Three F Five J glider. So something different because it's going to be perfect conditions, more sun, sort of in great thermal conditions. 
and I took my Viperjet Foamy gearing up from a turbine maiden. Uh, the Viperjet Foamy, the E-Flight Viperjet was fine. No no dramas there, uh, except for the AS3X GPS, not GPS, gyro unit that, I don't know. It's not bad, actually, on that plane. It's probably it's one of the better ones, but um, a bit too much gain, maybe. I might need to dial it back. But uh, what was the other thing? Oh, then the, the glider. So I wanted to maiden my this this glider that I've got, big four meter wingspan carbon fiber jobby, and uh, plug everything in, checking all the control services, making sure everything works, and yep, the elevator servo decides to go up and down by itself. It wasn't a jitter; it was just a movement up and down by itself. Isolated the problem to the servo, and uh, so let's just say I got home, and the first thing I did is pull the servo out and go and buy a new one which don't really like doing. But anyway, glider servos cost a fair bit as well. But that is going to come all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. It's the only place where I could fly, find one. So hopefully it'll be here in a few days and uh, next available opportunity, I'll be getting that glider out there again. So it has been busy, uh, which is good to see. And the other thing is, if you think this podcast is ending soon, well, it won't be ending in the next month because I've done three different interviews in the past week. More to come this week, so I've got plenty, plenty lined up, and I'm saying I'm talking some big guests. Some big guests are coming, so stay tuned. It's guest time, and and the thing that we all come here for is to hear from our guests. And this week's guest is a guy by the name of Derek Pontarolo. Great name, Derek Pontarolo. Now I first met Derek many years ago when I had uh, I was producing the Flat Out RC magazine, and on Facebook, I saw some photos of a B-2 stealth bomber, I think it is called. B-2 stealth bomber. One of those, you know, stealthy bomber planes, flying wing kind of jets. And uh, Derek got the Compaf make a, a, a model of it, um, turbine powered. And Derek had one. And I contacted him and said, Derek, I would love to put your jet in the magazine because it's just something very different. Ended up having a chat with him on the phone about the jet to get some information. He was just a lovely guy. Like, you're not going to be a nicer guy than Derek Pontarolo. And so I was looking for another jet guy to come on, talk jets and, you know, hear about their story. And Derek came to mind, sent him a message. He did say to me, oh, there's more exciting people than me. Nah, Derek is it. He's a good guy. Anyway, Derek hails from southeast Queensland. Uh, he... He's known as a jet guy, has been involved in the jet scene for quite some time. I think he's actually president of the Queensland Jet Flyers Association, something like that. Um, but he'll tell us all about it. So here's my chat with the great man, the good guy, Derek Pontarolo. We're talking jets today, and my special guest is all the way from northern Australia, not too far north, up in Queensland, Derek Pontarolo. Thanks for joining me. G'day, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Well, Derek, you and I go way back. I think the last time we spoke was two years ago, maybe, when I rang to get some information about your B-2 stealth bomber jet that you've got that we put in the Flat Out RC magazine, and we are going to talk about that plane. But uh, when we had that chat, I didn't find out a lot about your history. So where did your model flying career, if you want to call it a career, start? Um. Quite a young age, actually, Andrew. Probably, I think I was about nine or ten. I was right into the RC cars. Tamiya was the car to, yeah. or the brand to have with the RC cars. I think uh, I got a, a frog, 
It might have been a frog or a grasshopper or something like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, having a ball of those sort of things. And then I came across uh, a friend of mine. I think it was a neighbour. And he um, he had a little Cox uh, engine that he was playing around with. So, yeah, that got my interest. And uh, aeroplanes sort of came next after after that. So How did the – what drove you to go and get a plane? You saw this thing. What's that gap? How did you go from seeing this engine – to get into a flying field and going for a fly. Um, oh, we're going we're going back a long way now. Uh, <laughs> many beers ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just I just had interest in tinkering with anything that was RC, and you know it was RC car was sort of two dimensional, and then the the next level for me was just to have something that up in the sky. I just wow, this is cool. Um, all these things you can do with it, and, and you've got to have a certain skill level, and yeah, it just it just kept my interest going, and, and still to this day, you know, I, I just love flying RC models. Yeah. What was your first plane? It was it was a kit. It was a biplane, so probably not the greatest of first plane choices <laughs> to get. I'll tell you what, uh, I've never heard of someone's first plane being a biplane. <laughs> Talk about jumping into the deep end. Firstly, I had to teach myself how to put it together, and that took me about six months, and it wasn't the best of jobs. Yeah. Um, and once it, once I got it together, being impatient person that I am, I took it straight down to the local, uh, I think it was the school oval, and uh, gave it a shot. I had no idea what I was doing. I knew how to start the motor, um, and I had a basic idea of what the control surfaces did, but, um, yeah, the first flight was its last flight. So um, that's that's where it all started. It was uh, it wasn't a good start, but no. yeah, I just loved loved it. Isn't it amazing that that enthusiasm once you finish the plane to go go and take it out to fly, and then you look back and you go, what what, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Back in those days, <laughs> exactly, we didn't have simulators and things like that where you could sort of roughly get get an understanding of how to fly. Like even nowadays, you can get a simulator on your mobile phone and roughly work out what the stick movements do and so yeah what did it did how far did you get into the flight before it hit the ground oh i think it was about 10 seconds just after takeoff i think it rolled over and then i got all confused up was down down was up yeah. and uh yeah that was that was the end of it and no uh, what, but, what happened after that though like i would have been disappointed did you, you obviously didn't get um up. Uh, no, I didn't give up. Um, I, it was a bit of a gap in between that model and my next one. But I um, I got a little bit wiser and I chose something a bit easier after that. I think, yeah, a glider. Yeah, I think I went to a glider. And, uh, yeah, it, it just sort of got uh, easier to fly and handle, obviously, being a glider. And, uh, yeah, it just grew from there. And so then how old are you roughly at that stage? Oh, I was in, I think, year nine, so 13, 14 years yeah, old. 13, 14, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. so you got the glider, and did you keep on sort of progressing with the glider or get back into power planes, you know, in your teen years? I, I got back into power planes. Uh, warbirds in particular, I just love warbirds. Um, so, oh, I'm trying to recall which what it was. Stuff like Spitfires, little, you know, just uh, 60 size 
models, mm. that sort of thing. ARF too, that they were sort of coming out then, so it was easier for me to pick and choose and not worry about my building skills. Um, and uh, yeah, just and they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. So. That's it. Well, we know that it got bigger <laughs> and bigger. Did you? So you made your way to a club at some point in time. Then was it pretty oh, much? I was. I was late to get to a club. Um, it was probably 2004. Uh, I self-taught, which was the wrong thing to do. Now I know that. Um, and I taught myself a lot of bad habits in, in flying. Uh, but, yeah, it was about 2004 when, when I decided, you know, enough is enough, uh, you know, enough carnage, time to actually go somewhere and get a bit of um, tuition on what to do right and what, what's wrong. And, uh, yeah. What club did you go to? It was Larks. You still remember Larks, there? Larks, uh, not anymore, no, but it was uh, Logan Home, Aero Modelers, here in Brisbane. So. Yeah, okay. And so did you take a break from the hobby at any point in time as you were growing up? or There know? probably would have been a time there um, where I did take a bit of a break. Motorbikes sort of came into play. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so my focus changed a little. And I'd say probably about two years. It was a bit of a break there. Oh, that's nothing. Um, like yeah. the, the traditional, like there is a recurring theme when I interview, especially males, that they, they, they get to sort of 18 years of age, get their car license and then ditch the hobby for cars and women and then yeah. they come back maybe later in their 30s kind of thing. But uh, a two-year break is nothing. That's just a... That's just having yeah. a little bit of a nap for a couple of years. What kind of motorbike did you have? Because we were talking about motorbikes before we got on air. <laughs> but what... uh, my, I, I love Ducatis, oh. Andrew. Uh, so I I started off with a little Honda uh, 250, which obviously because licensing yeah. requires you to start off with a small small size engine. And then when I was allowed to go to a larger bike, I got a Ducati Monster, okay. uh, a 900cc. Yeah, and um, yeah, I've had a few Ducatis since then, so about four or five. So I was literally researching Ducati eight four eights last night. Don't don't tell my wife. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah. But I, I'm still in a restricted license, and as I mentioned to you earlier, recovering from a dislocated shoulder from a motorbike accident. So we'll stick with aeroplanes because they're a lot safer. <laughs> so you, you, they are. When you, by the time you got to the flying club and you were trying to learn properly, were you still into the warbird thing? Yeah, uh, warbirds were were still there. Uh, probably at that time, I had a uh, composite P forty seven, I think, like a twenty cc sort of size um, CM Pro, I believe, was the brand. And um, yeah, so still still hanging out with the Warbirds, having fun with that. Started to look at the Aerobats as well. I'll, you know, once again, my flying skills wasn't that fantastic. So um, I needed to get something was that would, could teach me uh, those skills a little bit better, get a better skill set. And, um, you know, I think I got a small, I started off with some small Aerobats, like um, some Yaks and... Uh, edges and stuff like that but once again still still in the like the 20 cc range yeah yeah now let's fast forward a bit because when yep. the name Derek Pontarolo comes up everyone thinks jets turbine jets um, <laughs> and one of those shining lights in that Queensland jet scene of having these awesome models 
when did when did you move into turbine jets? Well, that was one year after joining a club. Really? <laughs> <laughs> You're talking yourself down. Oh, I wasn't very good at flying, but next minute I bought a jet. Oh, yeah. Um, 2005. Um, early days. I got in contact with Peter, Peter Agnew. Yeah. Um, and I said, Peter, you know, I'm loving these things. And, like, these jets are so cool. And I said, well, what, what can I buy? You know, I was all cashed up at the time and I really wanted to get my first jet. And uh, I think we were talking about a facet. I think that was a kit you could purchase. And I don't know if you're familiar with the facet, but it's not a very pretty looking jet. Mm. It's more of a, tra- yeah. uh, a high wing sort of trainer oh, yeah. uh, thing. But, yeah, it's it's not something you want to get uh, photos taken with. Um, so after that short discussion, he sort of mentioned the Eurosport to me, Compath Eurosport. Oh, really? And I had a look at that. I said, oh, yeah. And I said, wow, that is so cool. Anyway, the price tag um, was quite large for an initial jet purchase, but I had to have it. So that was my first jet, Compath Eurosport. Really? Yeah. And why did he recommend that? Like, cause one minute he's telling you about this trainer, and then there's like this really sporty kind of jet. Are, are they easy to fly? I oh, just, it, yeah, they are. Compa, I would, I would classify the the Compa Eurosport as uh, a trainer slash sports jet. Oh, really? Very, very, yeah, very predictable. Flies great. Um, yeah, it just does everything so well. So yeah, it was a beautiful aeroplane. I've seen many at the field in many different schemes. What scheme did you have? The first one I got was unpainted. So oh, it was really? just the stock grey because I wanted to stick with the military sort of schemes mm-hmm. um, after just coming from the Warbirds. And so I got a stock grey kit and I painted it up in the German livery um, for their Air Force. Yeah. See, I'll tell you what, you really got into it. Like most people just go and buy, like I bought a sport jet, you know, and uh, all painted up and ready to go. You've got the jet. You plan to paint it. You didn't go the full-on trainer-looking kind of plane, but as you said, the, the Eurosport's a good plane. I mean, it's still really popular yeah. today. It is. It's, you know, probably one of the highest-selling sports jets out there, um, considering how long it's been on the market and still going strong. So, yeah. yeah. I doubt whether they've changed the kit in any way either. Do no, have- I think they've got a, a few different versions uh, and minor upgrades, but, yeah, yeah. Prim- primarily it's still the same. Same airplane. You had the canards at the front. Yeah, yeah. Well, operating canards. Got to, had to have that. Yeah. No vectoring though. No vectoring back then. It was just straight through thrust tube. You know, I saw my first uh, vectoring jet oh, a few weeks ago. Now, down at my local club, a uh, Compaf Mephisto, okay. the big Mephisto, big big plane. Yeah, yeah, they're cool. With um, with yeah, thrust vectoring, plane. and oh, it was just. Adds another dimension. It was just amazing it, what flat spins, just twisting around. Just oh. yeah, it's it's. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to fly uh, a couple of Mephistos, and not yeah. with thrust vectoring though. But um, just the standard platform was just yeah. There's such a beautiful flyer. Big big plane. It was one of those yeah. planes that you know there are some planes that are big, but they get quite small in the air. But that plane stayed big in the air. It just kept on. It's got big. a lot of presence. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you got the uh, the Eurosport. Now, any bets you got the bug from that point onwards? What was that first flight like when you oh, first took it up? Um, I think my heart rate went through the roof. Um, 
my thumbs, uh, I don't think I could stop shaking my thumbs. And even to this point, you know, I must admit that every time I do a maiden on a new jet, I do I do still get the shakes. It's a bit of an adrenaline rush plus the nerves, you know, everything all at once. But, um, yeah, it, it was just, there was no turning back for me after that flight. Um, and once I got it back onto the ground for the first time, undamaged, it was just like celebrations, you know, it was, wow, I can't, you know, I was just over the moon, it was just a fantastic feeling. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, you know what, I'm trying not to mention my jet, because I get ribbed so often about this jet that I've got that I haven't flown, and so I'm really biting my tongue not to mention my jet, which is, I'm not going to go into the reason why I haven't flown it, but I just haven't had the opportunity to go and fly it yet. Anyway. It's one of those things that I know that I'll be fine flying the jet, mm-hmm. but it's still a jet and I'm going to be nervous when I fly it. I know that. I'm, and I know that yeah. I'm totally, same with you, you're totally capable of flying. You've flown enough jets now that, you know, you, I'll back in any day kind of thing, bring the plane home in one piece. But there's just still something about that that jet experience, I think, that really gets the nerves There right. is. There is, and, and you know, since 2005 to now, I, I've never not owned a jet. So it, it's, I, I just couldn't, I could not have one. It's just, I don't know, it's just that I'm not trying to make out that it's, I think uh, the joke that goes around locally, oh, jets are the pinnacle of the modelling aviation mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's just another level for myself personally and another form of, uh, adrenaline rush or excitement that just brings a big grin on my face. It's, yeah, I just love them. Well, it's interesting you say that because I think that anybody that flies jets and is really into jets has that same feeling. And one of the things I, I'm really anti is I know a lot of people sit and go, oh, the jet guys think they're so good with their jets. You know, oh, they yeah. think they're better than all of us and look how much money they've spent on the jets. And I think that's yeah. an absolute nutter load of rubbish. You know, the, for example, speaking for myself here, who I can really only speak yeah. for, I bought a jet because I love the look of Viper jets. I love the. Yeah. There's two reasons. I love the look of Viper jets, and the deal was too good to not get it. Right? Otherwise, I wouldn't have bought it. But so I love that look of that plane, a bit like the Ducati 848, right? Love the look <laughs> of it. And then you fall in love, and eventually you want to sort of, you know, you put it on your bucket list to want it, to want to get. And I can really understand it because there's no difference, you know, if someone that enjoys flying aerobatics or flying gliders, they get their kick in a certain way and that's great. And same with scale guys and whatever. What I've noticed is that the the avid jet guys, the guys that have got a hangar full of jets, just that's their thing. And and Yeah. And yep, and they're willing to spend the money and they know that it's gonna cost a bit of money to get into a turbine, um, into a turbine jet, but I get it. I get that. The sound, the smell, the speed, the adrenaline rush, everything that goes with it. You know, I mean, like as a kid, you know, going to see Top Gun, that was another clincher for me. You know, wow, I'd love to be a fighter pilot, and, and I'm sure I'm, <laughs> I'm probably you know referring to every other model jet pilot out there would have loved to be in a fighter pilot at yeah. some stage of their life. But um, yeah, it's just such a cool factor that. So even though we're not sitting in it, just like you said, hearing it, seeing, seeing it, smelling the, the caro burning, it's just, yeah, just another level. When I when I did the first run-up test on my jet, I was so excited. 
Like I was telling the whole family, yeah, it's going to make a little bit of noise, but it's the best noise ever. Who's going to come out and see it? And they're all <laughs> staring at me like, what are you talking? Not none of them, none of them came out to look at the jet startup kind of thing and hear this oh, thing really? and smell it. And I'm like, what? This is the best thing. And I literally had it on the stand, tied down, you know, fired the engine up to, you know, it was a program it or whatever I was doing with it, make sure it worked. Mm. And it worked. It started up. You didn't mm. have to flick a prop. You just, you know, start, start the start mm. sequence and, and you know, you can hear everything whirring away and next minute it's fired up and the kero's burning, the smell's coming. And I warned the neighbours, I had to knock on the door and say, I'm going to start up a jet, you know. Even stand there, I'm starting up a jet, and I've actually I've actually got mine sitting in my office. And I said to someone who came in, I said, "Do you want to see my private jet? I've got a private jet. Open up the door, and there's this Viper jet sitting there in my office." And they're like, "Oh, that's cool." I'm going, "Yeah, I know. It's unreal, isn't it? It's so so proud of the look of it. It's unreal." But um, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. Now let's talk about some of the planes that you've had. So you said you've owned, you must have owned a fair few jets. Then let's um take us through some of yes. the some of the signature jets that you've. Uh, you've had or currently currently have in your hangar? Yeah, okay. Um, well, I've actually owned three Eurosports. That's that's how good they are. Um, I, it's not like I wanted to have three all at the same time. Unfortunately, I lost the first two, hence I got to the third one. Um, <laughs> but uh, apart from Eurosports, what else would have had? Like currently in my hangar, I've got a beautiful uh, BVM uh, one fifth scale F sixteen, which I'm just oh. absolutely loving at the moment. Um, I've still got the B two. The B two's been uh, hasn't been flying too much. I went, that's more of a you know I leave that for nice weather days. Mm. Um, the A ten, the Mybo A ten, um, another beautiful twin engine um, flyer. Is that just so graceful? That? Yeah, that's um. That's a three meter wingspan, and sure. it's got uh, yeah twin twin one uh, twenties in it. How, how much fuel so are you that, carrying that in that? That's beautiful. Um, that one takes six liters. Okay. Yeah, what's, what's that flight one's time? six liters. Flight time is only about five and a half minutes. Yeah, I was going to say with for the for the A ten. Um, prior to what I've got now, what have I, oh, I've had. Couple of sports jets. Apart from the Euro, I've had the the Compaf Lightning, another beautiful flyer. Uh, J10. That's that was my first vectored um, sports jet. So very similar to a Euro, but a little bit longer and a bit sleeker. Um, and yeah, that was a that was a lot of fun to fly. Um, I've had L39s. <laughs> they look great. L39s. Yeah. What L39 scheme did you have? On the, what scheme did you have? That on the That was a military scheme. That was yeah. like a camo scheme. That was a Skymaster. So that yeah. was a 120 size. That was cool too. Um, oh, jeez. Had so many. I just I need to write all these things. You down need to. You need to. Run a, <laughs> have to. You need to write your memoirs. You know what? what yeah, jets, yeah. Do you ever have a Viper jet? <laughs> Um, I did have a Viper jet, but I never flew it. Um, I think I sold the Viper jet before it was. I didn't even start building it, so I got I got a two by two Viper jet. I think that was a Skymaster as well. Yeah. Um, and yeah, for some reason that got unsold, so I didn't even get to see that one yeah. fly. Unfortunately, that's the but one yeah, I've Viper got. Viper jets are beautiful. Yeah, they're they're, they're great, great yeah. all rounder. I'm really looking forward to flying, and maybe next month. Uh, 
haven't had a chance to get out in the field much lately. Get, get out there, get out there, get it up in the air, and you won't regret it. Do you know what one of my problems has been since I hurt my shoulder? I'm really worried about lifting lifting the the, the jet up and, and some of the bigger planes. Smaller planes are okay because initially I had a lot of problems in carrying some of the planes, even just doing wing bolts up. And But I'm getting to a point where I'm pretty pretty confident now. I don't think I'll have an issue. But um, no, yeah. really, I look, I know it'll be 100% fine. Those Viper just are pretty easy to fly, come in slow. Yeah, well, there's always always someone there to help you too, you know, so. Where, and do you, do you attend the, um, do you attend event, the jet events and things like that? Like down here in Victoria, we've got a really good jet association that organise regular get-togethers at, at airports, Mangalore Airport, Wangaratta Airport. They were down at the Bansdale Club. Um, a few weekends ago, um, but uh, you know, where where are you generally? Are you attending events, or are you just mainly going to the yes. local clubs? So actually, um, yeah, I do attend events. I'm actually currently the president of the Queensland Turbine Flyers Association up here. So yeah, I, I actually um, try and arrange the events, so also attend them. So yeah, we um, we've been uh, all around Southeast Queensland, you know, where we're permitted to fly or where it's available. Uh, Gundawindi, they've been really good to us. Uh, QTF's been out there like five, six years in a row where we get access to the, the main runway at the airport there. Um, most recently, we've been going out to Casino. Um, Tyson Dodd has the CASA instrument there that allows us to fly there. So we arrange through Tyson. Um, so, yeah, another beautiful place to fly. Uh, locally, my local club, Crams, um, that's where a majority of jet flyers like to go because uh, it's it's a little bit open. It's a bit it's not restrictive in the way of noise or altitude. We have a two thousand foot limit there on the weekends, so that's really great for the jet guys. Um, and just coming up next month, I think our first QTF event is at Samba. So uh, we'll be on the north side of Brisbane uh, visiting that club, holding our first event for twenty twenty one. What are the numbers like at these events? Are you getting, is there a good following for turbine yeah, flies? It, it ranges. Um, obviously, the major events where we go to the airports, we, we get, you know, 40 to 50 um, people come along, you know, with up to about one or two, or even three or four uh, jets per person. So, yeah, we'll have up to 100 turbines at, at one place. So, yeah. It's just, it, I still am fascinated, and I've talked about this before, how that jet movement has really grown. I, I like, I've attended, you know, the Wangaratta Jets event. I went up there a few years ago when it was on, and and couldn't believe how many jets were there. But you know, a, a, any any event nowadays, you're going to see a group of, of jet guys. But what I find with jet guys, is they've generally got multiples and multiple jets with them. It's not just one, and it just seems to be growing. That even in my circle of friends. The amount that have now got jets is just um it, it's good to see I, I think the they're becoming a bit more affordable too because there's so many manufacturers out there um and there's such a range from your very small sports jets that you can you know pack up with the wings on and stick it in the back of your car right up to your you know your quarter scale big big uh turbine warbirds um, as such. So, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of options out there. And for someone who wants to get started, it just it's good to see because I remember when I first started, there wasn't too many, too much in the way of options of, you know, 
for beginners as such. There's a there's a few ugly um, kit jets that you could buy and stuff like that, but or you just jump straight into the really big stuff, which I did. But um, yeah, no, it's, today it's really good to see all these manufacturers coming out with such a range of of jets. Yeah, well, it's interesting that. As someone that I know that's got his Excalibur jet for sale, which is like three flights old. It's just a beautiful build, immaculate, great gear all throughout. Didn't skimp anywhere, and that's yeah, it's on the mark for about four thousand seven hundred dollars. Now, yep. if you want to go and build a hundred cc extreme flight um, aerobatic plane and put you know a DA motor in it, good servos and everything. You're actually getting up towards the eight grand mark nowadays. Yeah, with the yeah current exactly. Exchange rate. So it's it's like it, it, this misconception that all jets are expensive, and you know what I paid for my jet is is you know a fraction of what it would cost me to set up a hundred cc'er. And I think it's mm. like I've got a couple of hundred cc'ers, and they're the same value as my jet flying, but you know. It's, it's horses for courses, just the way that you cut your money up. You know, you can that, either spend it on right. the 100cc or you can go and buy an Excalibur turbine and get into turbines, whatever yeah. flights your boat, you can, you, you can that, do it. That's right. Each to their own, you know. Just, uh, but, yeah, when they when they say our oh, jets are too expensive, you know, well, look at that uh, three-metre extra down there. How much do you think that is, you know? So, yeah, it's uh, that's true. They, they're very similar in price tags. And the other thing I always say is that you know, some people – just aim to just keep on buying new planes, you know, another plane, mm. another plane, another plane. And when you add up the expense that they put into their hangar, you're talking about 20 grand plus of, yeah. of aeroplanes, 30, 40 grand's worth of aeroplanes. Now, you can grab that 30, 40 grand, you can put it into some really good jets, all right? You're not going to have Definitely. you're not going to have 25 planes in your hangar. You might have five, but, yeah. you know, it depends. You know, everyone's got a different point of view. And, and currently, that's sort of where I am because I, I had a, a big mixture of all these different planes, and I thought, wow, you know, all of those planes that I don't fly too often anymore because I enjoy flying the jet so much. That, that's probably the value of another jet. So, yeah, I suppose you could, yeah, you weigh it up and you go, well, this is what I'm focused on. So, I'd rather have three of these expensive models rather than have ten. Um, you know, cheaper models in total. So, well, I've got a similar mindset that as I've the more time I've spent in the hobby, the more I want to cull my hanger. That yeah. I, I'm, I'm can identify like I'd, I've got probably if I just talk about core planes, not foamy freebies that I got when I was you know running flat out RC magazine, no review models and things like that. Some of them that I've kept. Um, I've, I've probably got eight core models, you know, bolts of prop planes and whatever, and throw in the jet as well. I actually get frustrated because I hate, you know, like this weekend I'm going to go for a fly and I'm now already working out which model am I going to take to go for a fly? Should I fly the extra or the Bigfoot or should I fly my 30cc or my 100cc or which 100cc yeah. do I want to fly? And that frustrates me. I'm yeah. a busy guy you know, work and all the other things going on in life that I just think, oh, it would be so much easier if I owned three planes. Then I'll just yeah. go, I'll just take that. Because it's really, it's neither here nor there if I go and fly the different 100ccs or the different 30ccs. It's all much of a muchness that I've got in my hangar. Mm. And and if I want something different, I've got FPV drones. I was FPVing last weekend. I've got gliders. I've got discus launch gliders. I've got a radio control paramotor. I've got a radio control yacht. I, I, if I need diversity, I've got more than enough in my hangar. But 
I just that I think I've, as time has gone on, I'm just getting fussier and I just don't have time to build. And so I don't want anything more. If anything, I want to get rid of stuff. I just can't work out yeah. which one I want to get rid of yeah. next. It, it, it's a hard choice when you, when you get to that point too. You've got to really work out what you fly more often, what you feel more comfortable with, what gives you more joy. Yeah, that's um, exactly yeah. right. It's, it's about what you uh, – and I think a lot of people struggle with that and we hold on to planes, you know, for years just sitting mm. there, just consuming space. I suppose we do that with a lot. Look, we do that with a lot of yeah. different things. If we go into our garages and have a look at what's in there that we haven't touched, but mm. um, so how many how many planes do you reckon you've got? How many jets have you got currently in the hangar? Uh, only three at the moment. So two two twins though, and one single turbine. Uh, you know, one plane that I did forget to mention when you asked me what planes I've had, and I can't believe I've forgotten it. The Su twenty seven. Oh, what um, a great plane! Yeah, yeah, it's so, a great looking plane. Just. Just another beautiful aircraft. How big was that one? Um, that was three, just over three meters long. Oh, the big um, one. What scheme? Yeah, it was a Russian scheme. Um, yeah. Uh, Rush. It was splint, splinter scheme. I think they call it uh, winter splinter scheme. And um, yeah, just I, I had that for four years before I sold it. Went to Israel actually. Oh, I did it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I was sad to see that one go, but. Just like, I don't know, I seem to cycle through all my models. Uh, like I get to about four or five years and then I decide, you know, I want something new here, but I don't want to keep increasing, you know, the number of aircraft I've got in the shed, one, because my shed's not big enough. Um, and two, I just, you know, want to just have something fresh. So, yeah, I put it up for sale and it went pretty quickly. So Yeah, they are a beautiful aircraft. There's something about those. And... Uh... I really love the look of those um, those yak jets with the really big tail. I don't know why. I think it's the really big tail fin that. Yeah, the yak one thirty. Yeah, yeah, the... yeah. They're they're very popular. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's there's a few getting around here here in Australia. So yeah, yeah. they're a lovely, lovely lovely flying model. Now, I mentioned your B two stealth bomber that you had, and um, I put it in. I saw photos of it on Facebook when you first had it. Yeah. And it sort of went a bit viral in the kind of way the photos of it. And I said, <laughs> I rang you up and I said, I want to put it in the magazine because that is just great. You know, that looks yeah. awesome. Did we put it on the front cover? I can't remember. Yeah, you did. We did. Yeah. Oh, okay, did. cool. Yeah, yeah, I thought we did. Um, yeah. But anyway, tell us a bit about this stealth bomber because it is a very, very unique model aircraft. I, um, when I was looking at, I like unique, if you haven't worked that out already. Um, and I like having something that obviously no one else has. So uh, when I first saw the B2 uh, and Andreas was doing the test flights and stuff like that, Andreas from CAF, and he didn't have a good success rate. Um, <laughs> there was a few uh, incidents that were videoed, especially from uh, America, and it sort of just threw me off a little bit of uh, focusing on, on actually getting the B2. Anyway, uh, I think a year or two progressed and then I noticed that there was a few more flight videos. I said, oh, wow, that looks like they've got this down and, and sorted, you know. It's, it's flying around really nice. So I got in contact with Richo. Um, he was calf, a calf dealer, still is. And I said, what do you think, mate? And um, Richo, you know, you know Richo. Yes, yeah, 
that's so cool. I think you should get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if it was upselling or what, but um, <laughs> uh, it was that. And I was also looking at the SR71. Yep. So another sort of unique airframe. Um, but I think the B2 was just an easier thing to get, especially with Richo being the dealer. Um, so I, I just decided, you know, stuff it. I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing a shot, you know, and see how we go. So, uh, yeah, a few months later, it, uh, turned up in the mail at Richo's place and we pulled it out of the, out of the box and we just were in awe. Like, look at this thing, you know, it was just out of this world. Isn't that um, feeling a great feeling when you get a brand yeah. new and you open it up? And it's all fresh. It's such a hard thing to describe. And and anybody out there listening that's done it before, you know what we're talking about. It's yeah. It's that almost that sense of pride. Look at this. This is just awesome. And it's the same thing when you finish the model and it's just sitting there, just you know that night before maiden or whatever, where you finished your model and you see it there. I run around the house going, take a look at it, take a look at it, and everyone's going, so I'm like, but isn't that nice? <laughs> no, it's another plane. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it's just. You know, it's something that I've never seen before as a model as such. And to see, you know, it's one thing looking at it on, on YouTube or something like that, watching one. But when you see one in the flesh for the first time, it's just, yeah, just a beautiful bit of kit. What are the dimensions on that plane? Because it's pretty big, isn't it? Yeah, um, it's definitely wider than longer. <laughs> it's four, <laughs> it's four, 4.35 metres wide, really? I believe. Yeah, well, wingspan, 4.35. Um, it weighs in about 22 and a half, 23 kilos uh, dry. Yeah. Um, it's got twin uh, twin 80s. Um, oh, really? So I went, yeah, I went with the lower spec option. I just thought this thing's got no drag. There's no resistance. I mean, you don't need too much power, you know. So, um, yeah, I went with the... The twin uh, Jetmunds 80s, the VT 80s, and yeah, more than enough power. Uh, if that thing, if 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 it had a mo- just a single motor option that you whacked in the middle of the airframe, that thing would fly around just with the single 80. Oh, yeah. really? It, yeah, yeah, it's so efficient. Well, it's, it's like a flying wing, really. But yeah, it, well, yeah, exactly what it is. So um, it's um, yeah, and then just the 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 training, the the learning part about it was. Obviously, no vertical stab, so no normal rudder as such. The the B2 utilizes what they call drag rudders on the on the wingtips. So one would uh, open right up and create drag on that particular side of the of the airframe, which would sort of you know move it around that direction. So and that and that's how that's how it flies. The real one has about four, I believe four computers uh, in order for it to fly. So. How many um, have you got? You got you got, you got, you got gyros <laughs> yeah, in everything. I've got a gyro. Yeah, I've got a Cortex gyro in there. Um, but it could fly without the gyro. To be honest, it just sort of smooth smooths out the you know the bumps yeah. as you're flying around. The, but uh, how does it break down? Being such a big wingspan, does it? Yeah, so it's a three piece. So you've got your center section, and then you've got your two wings. Um, and the wings are massive. Very difficult for logistics. Um, always trying to like, I've got a decent sized trailer, but and it's it's kitted up to carry two de- uh, decent sized models. But when I take the B2, the wings are always an issue to you know find a space where they'd be safe for transport. Yeah, odd shape, really. 
mm. being so big. The when you bought that model, how how did you have to really assemble it? Like, was there a lot of work in putting the servos in, or you know, how complete uh, was it? it? It was pretty straightforward. I was surprised how quickly. I think it was only like two months or something before it was all together and flying. Um, yeah, so there there wasn't anything too complex about it. The 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 main critical part is getting the CG right. Um, being such a short uh, aircraft in length, that and and so wide, it the yeah the CG has to be spot on. Calf actually puts a a little mark on the on the fuselage, to, and you hang it from that point, and it's got to balance exactly. Otherwise, it, it's a disastrous. Um, so is that without without a fuel load? Of course, you you doing this. Yeah, without or? without fuel, balance it without fuel. Yeah, so. But uh, yeah, it's um, it's very very important you get that right. What ray tracks are you running in it? Big uh, the forties uh, or electrons, electrons, yeah, yeah. So they work well. Um, no pneumatics at all. The gear doors are all servo driven as well. So it, it's nice to have a jet where you don't have to worry about air leaks and stuff like that. Hmm. Everything's electric. Um, yeah. What what um, servos are you using in that plane? All um, all JR servos. So um, they were also supplied from from Richo as well. Uh, so they not not really high spec stuff. Just I think they were like in the thirty maybe thirty kilo range for the for the big surfaces. Uh, I mean all the surfaces on that thing are big anyway. So. But you don't need a lot of throw for it to fly around in the sky like an aerobat or something like that. So it's, I think it's only got like 25 mil of uh, of throw in the surfaces for, for, you know, nice flight. Yeah, I think with a lot of these jets, I saw um, there's a guy down here, Paul McCarthy, who put a uh, 360 camera on his jet. And the thing that blew me, it was an awesome video. It was a great, great video. It was on his L, big L39. Yeah, and, that's uh, a calf too. Yeah, and he, uh, looking at, like, you could move the, the footage around. You could, I was looking out at the ailerons. The aileron throw was hardly anything. Same with elevator and rudder. There was hardly mm. any throw that was needed to fly this plane around. And, and it got me thinking because when I'm used to aerobatic planes where, you go, oh, yeah, 45 degree of throw on the ailerons yeah. at full, full high rates, that would probably give it a nice snap. And then I'm setting up my jet and, and I'm looking at the throws and it's going, oh, you need, like, you know. 15 mils of throw should be enough. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's not enough. I'm going to need more than that. Yeah. But uh, with that B-52, bringing into land, has it got flaps set up or speed brakes or how does it work? No, nothing at all. Um, it, it You can utilise those drag rudders to open up to act mm. as drag brakes if you if you want. But I, I've never done that. I like to have that control available to me rather than, have those things split wide open and have no sort of your control. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, when the gear comes out, um, I suppose that creates a bit of drag. Uh, the main doors stay open, but the nose door closes. Uh, that's that's uh, yeah. That's a moment that I don't like actually talking about. That is the transition of the gear, whether it's in oh, or out. Yeah. The aircraft gets a little bit. Um, yeah, unstable, I suppose you could say. It sort of uh, goes in a direction that uh, I don't point it. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to prepare myself. <laughs> and it's it's a nine-second transition. So I literally, when I flick that gear switch, I count. 
you know, 1,000, 2,000, because I know for that short period of time, it's it's not going to behave as much as I'd like it to. Mm. So I always pick, you know, when I'm taking off rotating, um, I keep it straight, the gear's going away, and when I get to that nine-second mark, I start my turn. And the same with um, pulling the gear out for, you know, preparing for landing. Mm. I, I always pick a, a nice position uh, where I've got, you know, nine seconds of a straight run somewhere because it, it, it's not flying very fast. It's just cruising at maybe, I don't know, 100, 100 k's an hour or something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's the, probably the, the worst characteristic about that uh, particular model is just the transition of the gear. I think it's just the airflow coming into the actual airframe when the gear doors open, especially from the front, creates turbulence and it just makes it that little bit unstable. Yeah. And, and it's, yeah, it's just one of those things that uh, you've got to deal with. But I'm, I'm comfortable with it now. I know what to expect and how to handle the situation. So, yeah. The, uh, what's it, like, it looks like it'd fly very slow. Um, it's yes. It's a big wing, you know, so... So obviously you can bring them in pretty slow then. Yeah, look, literally before I turn onto base, I pull the, the throttle back to idle. And I, I'm gliding on my, my, my full base turn until it lines up for um for final all the way in. Really? I've now recently put a pedo tube on it because um, airspeed is critical at those that last moment just before touchdown. If you touch down a little bit too quick with a, it's still flying speed then yeah it can get a bit bouncy and go all over the place and there's that risk uh, of it showing its belly and once it shows its belly it's all over it, it'll flip like a hmm. I don't know like a table surfboard in the wind or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that so yeah it, it's you've just got to get that airspeed right it's about I, I I measure my airspeed in meters per second coming from UAV industry so uh, it's about 17 meters a second that I, I wait for before I know it's ready for touchdown. So. Oh, really? And have you got that through a voice telemetry or? Yeah, yeah. So I use Jetty. Um, so it's got a pedo tube and I have the telemetry feedback. There is a slight delay, obviously, from mm. getting that information back. But I, I sort of, you know, I'm, I'm a couple of seconds in front of it. That's just amazing. I could... It, have you, is that the kind of plane you take to the to the events and fly it off the, the big runways, or where have you been mainly flying I, it? Yeah, I, I fly it at my local club, but uh, I always prefer good weather conditions. I don't like the idea of having crosswinds and stuff like that. So I try to give myself all the available chances possible to have a nice flight. Um, so yeah, it's not something that I take to the field. You know, it's not an every Sunday sort of flyer. So yeah, if if I look at the weather reports and I oh, yeah, you know the wind straight down the strip and it's only ten knots, um, everything's lining up. So yeah, I'll, I'll start charging the B two up and get it ready. Yeah, that's amazing. What's the flight time like on it? Uh, it's pretty average because the tanks aren't that big. Even though the motors are small, uh, I think they're two liter tanks per per engine. So it's still only about five to six minutes, um, once again, depending on throttle management. Well, that is an amazing plane. And, and, you know, it's funny when people say they like to have something different. And some people look at that as, you know, oh, you're so arrogant, you just want to be different. But I don't think it's anything to do with that. I think that 
I love it when somebody has something different because the worst thing I'd you know I'd want to see at a jet event is everybody flying a Viper jet. It'd be just like Viper Jet Central be boring as anything. <laughs> you you actually want to see the oddball plane. Oh, oh, the, in the past 12 months, the most exciting plane that I've seen fly was no jokes, some old clunk of a plane that had a diesel engine in it that was set up for radio control with a throttle and everything. And the, the the reason why it was so exciting is that this thing hardly had any power. The plane was totally underpowered, especially on the ground. Getting it off the ground, the guy had four attempts and he kept on moving the plane further back on the runway to get more of a run-up. Yeah. And he was having a ball, like he had this grin on his face. Right? It was like he didn't worry too, too much about if he lost it, he wasn't overly fast because it was a bit yeah. of a clunker. But it finally got off and the cheer went up when it got off the ground and this thing was like <laughs> flying flat stick with this diesel engine. And the whole yeah. challenge of getting the – and I'd never seen a diesel run and I thought – I've got a video of it actually on my phone. I thought this is – that is unreal. I'm really enjoying that. But, yeah, something something different is is always – Most definitely. Um, if, if you go to somewhere, you know, and it also, you know, it draws more people to an event too. You know, if, if – if you know you're going to see, like you said, if it's just going to be all Viper jets, oh, you know, we see those every day at the club or whatever, like, but when you get a good variety of different types of aircraft and stuff like that, that's when you sort of build the interest in the event, you know. You, you spread it across, you know, warbirds, sports jets, all that sort of stuff, and, and that's what you need to do these days. You really need to, yeah, just not focus just on one particular thing. You need to incorporate a whole wide variety of different style and type of aircraft. Yeah, definitely. Like I've been to aerobatic events and I, look, I'm an aerobatics fan myself, love love aerobatics. But um, when you go to a, a scale event or something like that, you know, a big fun flyer, like the, the Shepherd and Mammoth scale flying, the most boring planes that are on the field are aerobatic planes because they're great to fly. I love flying aerobatic planes, but you got to be honest. You know, some of these warbirds and even I love seeing Cessnas and Pawnees and all that kind of stuff. The lines of them are just so much nicer than the mundane lines of an aerobatic an aerobatic plane all the time. And and and, and I'm an aerobatics fan. I used to sell 3D Hobby Shop aerobatic planes. And, you know, you go to an iMac event and iMac is awesome. I mean, it's great for the pilots that are there. It's not a great spectacle to watch. And before the iMac guys go and yell at me, I literally just went and did a post on Facebook <laughs> promoting iMac because I, I think it's such a great thing to get involved in. But it's not a spectator sport. Um, you know, they, they fly far away and every plane is much of a muchness. You know, here comes another extreme flight laser, the 10th I've seen today, um, which mm. are, by the way, really good planes. But um, mm. so, yeah, so having something like that stealth bomber and, and, you know, when I was publishing the magazine, that's what I was looking for. I didn't want to do mm. another article on a cub. Yeah, like uh, nothing against cubs, but there are so many of them. And you yeah. know, it's in, after I interviewed Ali Machinchi, who's a massive jet guy as well. Yeah, it became evident why companies like Horizon Hobbies keep on building cubs because they can sell them. So they keep on producing another cub in various different sizes because they know that people will go out and buy a cub, and then they turn up with their cub at a flying event. The cubs that I like the best, they've got to be massive. The big, 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 um, the big, big cubs, they, they get me that, going. That scrub cub that gets around, I love yeah. that thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just a beautiful, the, beautiful. Is that the aluminium one with the, um, 
Is it the one, the aluminium one, the, with the aluminium yeah, frame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Made in here in Australia. Yeah. There's a guy making them, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's yeah. um, it's got no covering on the, on half yeah. the fuselage, and yeah, just yeah, that's it's a sweet machine. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, you know, again, it's just a different different take. I've got a, a plane called the three D Hobby Shop Bigfoot, which is cub like. It's based on a a husky, and uh, but it's fully aerobatic. You know, it's you can do anything with it. Um. And it's got massive short takeoff and landing, and I've got the inflatable wheels on and everything, and I love that plane. Mm. And that sort of satisfies my stole love for stole, and then yeah. my love for aerobatics. So I've got the two in the one, which a lot of, but it's interesting. Ali Machinci's doing a lot of work with all these FX Cubs and whatever, and the big ones, and of course he ends up doing aerobatics with them because he said, you know, yeah. <laughs> they always they always tell me off. He said when I shoot videos, they go, well, "You're always flying aerobatics," but that's what get gets the. The heart going kind of thing, but um, yeah, same with the jets. Like that, that bomber is just phenomenal and, and and did well in the magazine, which is good to see. Just on jets, what what jets still on your bucket list? Oh, on the bucket list, um, I still would love to get an SR seventy one. Um, I love the big one hundred fours. They're just Fantastic. The ones that I've seen are Kevin Dodd's got one. I think Tyson's building one. Yeah, Tyson um, mentioned them. He said they fly really, really well, which doesn't Yeah. It doesn't look like a nice flying yeah. model, but he said they're phenomenal. Yeah, I'm, that's right. It's just like a missile with little wings, you know. It's um but yeah, what I've seen they just fly so well, so nicely. Um but yeah, I think for me though, personally I've got a bit of a gap there I don't, because I haven't had a sports ship for a while. I, I'm really looking to fill that gap with another sports ship. Nothing too big. Um, like I said earlier, I'd like to um, get something probably a little bit on the small side, something I don't have to worry about hooking up the trailer, throwing it in, you know, throwing it in the back of the ute with the wings on and just going straight to the pub without mucking around so much. So, yeah, I think for me it would be a nice little sports ship next. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense though. Like, um, I can understand why people buy these Excaliburs and things like that and use them as, you know, their everyday club flyer rather than bringing the big plane out because there is that hassle of, you know, yeah, we've got trailers and all that kind of stuff, but sometimes you just can't be bothered dealing with a bigger plane. And I just want, yeah, want to yeah. grab something it's, it's that like, I can just keep the wings on, like you say, pull it out of the back of the car and go, okay, let's just go for it. That's right. There's a lot of effort involved with the big, big aircraft. You know, people tell you, like, the day before flying, you're charging batteries, mm. you're checking the fuels. Like, like with the turbines, you've got to mix your fuel, and you know, same with the two strokes and all that sort of stuff. But and then you've got to load it, you've got to make sure it's all tied down properly, and then you've got to hook the trailer up and make sure you're not missing, you know, go through your checklist and make sure you've got you're not going to leave anything behind because we've all done that before. Mm. Um, rock up the field without a, a, a wing or whatever. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, it is a a massive sort of effort to go for just a one-day fly with, with the big stuff. So, Well, I've my aim with my jet is one of the reasons why I bought it is to be able to attend the, the jet events at the at the you know full-size airports at Mangalore and Wangaratta. And, uh, and I like that idea of today's going to be my turbine jet day. I'm going to pack the jet and nothing else, and that's all I'm going to focus <laughs> on because yeah. I – like even for me, I've got this two-plane limit when I go for a fly, and generally it's – maybe one electric and a gasser and I'll alternate between the two. There's a mate of mine I was talking to him the other day and he loves taking like as many planes as he can fit in his car. 
and he's got some he's got his planes of course have got bigger and bigger and he'll take three mm-hmm. big planes to the field and he said to me the other day that it takes him an hour to set the three planes up I'm like, I just can't wow. be bothered. <laughs> I just want to go fly. Yeah. I'm time poor. I'm rushing around. If I can get out yeah. to the field for a day, I'm doing really, really well. I don't want to spend an hour setting up three different planes. I'll fly. And, and, I, and I like to sort of get in the rhythm with, with a plane rather than, oh, I've now I'm comfortable flying that plane. Let me go and fly something else. It's totally different. I've got to think differently. So, yeah, my jet's going to be my, my jet-only flying um, thing when I go to the when I go to jet events. There's a, there's actually, there's a four-day event coming up down here in um, the, the Wang Jets is actually coming back in April. Um, and so... Uh, yeah. It's um, funny you mention that. that. For me, it's like at the end of the day, pack-up time. I really, I really dread that time oh, of the day. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's like, oh, so I'll annoying. just do a few more flights and, oh, no, I can't. I've, I've done my maximum permissible flights with the battery capacity yeah. that I've got on board. So... I'm gonna to have to start packing up, and it's just like, oh, here we go. Yeah. So yeah, and then you get home, then you gotta unpack and do a bit of a clean up. So yeah, but it's well, all it's all part of the parcel. It is, it is, it is. It's exactly right. I've got a I've got a single car garage, and in the single car garage is my trailer, which I always refer to it as my storage shed as well. So mm-hmm. it, it, now what ends up and I and my and I've got a really nice trailer, and I spent spent a bit of money on it. So. Um, of course, getting to the flying field means you've got to go down a dirt road. So if it gets dirty, mm. I've got to wash the trailer before I put it back in as well. So I have to factor yeah. in pack up time, get home, unhitch the trailer, clean the trailer, push it back into the garage. And then, of course, the family's put bikes in front of the trailer. So I've got to move the bikes to get to the trailer and reverse the procedure when I get home. So there's that's always, I say, it's a bit like having a boat. Have you ever gone to fishing? Yeah, I've never had a boat. I've had jet skis, but yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what, having, I haven't owned a boat. My father-in-law had a boat. And I used to say, when we were actually fishing off the boat, it was unreal. Everything either side of that was a pain in the butt. Getting the boat prepared, getting it in the water, putting the trailer and the car away. Then when you'd be buggered from a day or a night out fishing, and then you've got to clean the boat, clean the fish, you know, flush the motor. I was like, oh... That's yeah, the bit yeah. I used to always say to him, just pay for one of those services where you ring up and they crane your boat into the water and it's sitting there at the dock when we arrive. And then when we finish, we say, just put it back and they wash it and flush it and all that kind of stuff. But you yeah. pay for it, of course, and he didn't want to. Yeah. But um, that's what, that's what, that's what I'd rather go to work and make more money so that I can pay for someone to do that so I don't have to do it to pain. That's what, you know what I'm a big believer of? <laughs> The next step for flying clubs is actually to have like storage units that they rent out to members to keep their planes already built so that when we turn up to the field, I've seen this in China where, you know, because they're all space poor, um, they'll have these little huts and people store their planes in them. But imagine that they get some shipping containers and, you know, have different you know, That's doors and whatever. Fan- fantastic idea. I mean, you know, who, who doesn't want somewhere where they could store their planes uh it's. I, I'd love to be able to have that sort of facility available to me. Yeah, for sure. There was a. I, I visited a flying club in China, and it was it was crazy. They they had this relatively new field that was made on the banks. It was in 2017. I went to China. It was it was in a city called Huzhou, and uh, the developers that were building apartment blocks and whatever they they were told that they must have some recreational facilities in their area. You know, so if you're going to build these apartments. Bit like what they do here, you know. You want to have that estate. Well, you need to have a school and a shopping center and whatever. So they said to them, "You need some recreational stuff." And they didn't know what to do with this little parcel of land. And I don't know how they got onto the flying club. And they basically ended up building an asphalt runway for the flying club. 
but there's no other facilities, not a club, a shed or anything there. But they rented this like double story, tiny little house in the city. And that was their clubhouse. And what they had in is areas to build planes. They had storage of planes there. And it was a place where the club members just come and play with their toys kind of thing, not fly them, but just play. And I thought, this is amazing. It was, everything was pretty small. They didn't have many big, big planes there. And they had everything yeah. from flying UFOs to helicopters and whatever. But they had these benches set up where people would go and work on their planes. I thought, that's just that's just awesome. You know, Great idea. Bit different here, and the culture is a little bit different, and we've got we've got more space, that kind of thing. You know, everybody wants to have their mm. big shed, but mm. um, so yeah, so it's just that's crazy. So you said you 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 mentioned to me off air, and I, and I said I want to talk about that when we're on air. Is that you told me that you'd been doing some work um, with Boeing? Now, interested to know what what were you doing? Um. Yeah, that was um, that was really really uh, interesting, cool cool job to be part of the project. Um, I was uh, just uh, basically a, a pilot, a UAV pilot as such, uh, with um, the teaming jets. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Loyal Wingman, um, which is the you know the latest thing that's getting developed here in Australia uh, for unmanned sort of fighter support aircraft, I suppose, is what it is. But um, we, we were uh, part of the development stage with um, smaller jets uh, where the, um, the engineering team were working on developing the brains of the system, I suppose you could say. So we were piloting around these um, smaller sized uh, jet platforms uh, I suppose it's no secret. They were Mephisto's. So, yeah, I've yeah, seen the photos. So, uh, Boeing publicised yeah. as well. So we're not speaking out of school here because we have, you know, they've been publicly, I've seen video of them flying. Yeah, know, yeah. Boeing so it was, um, yeah, it was such an interesting project to be a part of. I think it went for about well, nearly two years. Uh, we finally completed the, um, the milestone, which was December last year, and that was at Concurry where the Queensland government just opened up recently their, their testing facility and where we were the first uh, first guys to actually utilise that facility. And we flew off the main runway there with uh, with all the, uh, the Mephistos and, yeah, it was a very successful mission. And so, you, the, so, yeah, the aim was a full autonomous flight from takeoff to landing. Was that achieved in the end? Yes, yes, and, and multi- multiple aircraft as well. Yeah, so, yeah, because I saw three um, of them, I think, you, in the air at the same time. Yeah, five. Five. So, yeah. So, um, and just, it was a ma- ma- did you sorry. did you have to build the the jets and then test fly them with you know radio control gear first and yeah yeah so initially started off with obviously just one airframe um just proof of flight you know there was things that we that we had to make sure that we could deliver for what Boeing wanted without going into detail um and yeah tick all the boxes as such. And then um, after, you know, general manual flying, then they were, you know, the trials would begin with uh, autonomous flying, um, you know, one aircraft at a time. Uh, and they were all proven and, um, yeah, auto landings, auto takeoffs, all that sort of stuff until it got to the point where they were all ready to go um, together. Uh, we didn't start with turbines um, straight off the bat. Prior to that, it was... Uh, 
prop-driven aircraft, um, obviously a cheaper option. Um, and yeah, a lot of the, the flight characteristics and stuff like that were tested on the prop-driven aircraft and then transferred over to the satellites. They weren't Piper Cubs, were they? Not not Piper Cubs. <laughs> oh, I know. They're probably sticks. You got the sticks out. You got some 30cc so, hanging on sticks. Something similar. Yeah. It, well, it makes sense. You know, the stick was designed as an experimental aircraft for testing engines back in the day. But, um, yeah, it looked like an awesome project. And the Mephisto would have been a great sort of platform. I, I love... It was. Yeah, I love the Mephisto how you can take the canopy off and do this big flat deck to, to play around with. Yeah, load all your accessibility is fantastic. And also, um, you know... Transportability, it that thing breaks down. You can fit it into a hatchback. Really, given the size of that that, that airframe, it's amazing. And yeah, uh, what happened with them now? Are they all are they Boeing's obviously still got them. Yeah, so they're, they're Boeing's aircraft. Um, so they're just waiting for the next the next project, whatever Boeing decides to do with them. So yeah, might be up on RC Trader shortly and grab. That. <laughs> Pull their smarts yeah, out and yeah. back to radio control. That'd be awesome. <laughs> and, and how did you actually come about that job and sort of make that transition into sort of the commercial side of the the hobby? Is it you know, as we know it? I um I think when UAVs or drones were becoming a bit more prevalent within you know industry and stuff like that, people were utilising them for these different tasks. Um, I, I just made a decision one day, oh, that, that would be so cool to get into. So I decided to go out and get my RPAS um, certificate of training and then get what you call a remote uh, pilot's license. Uh, and there's all these different categories you can get, you know, fixed wing, um, multi... Uh, Multi-rotor. Copter, yeah, multi-rotors, copters. Um, so it's... Uh, Powered lift, so that you've seen those planes that they take off vertically and then they transition into forward flight. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of categories there within within the ARPAS group. But uh, yeah, so I decided to go down that pathway, and um, yeah, I haven't looked back since. I, I've I've been in the industry now for it's coming up yeah five years. Oh, really? So. And yeah. and is there plenty of work? For, for people in Australia that are looking to get into that kind of stuff? or Yeah, it, it's definitely growing. I, I notice like where I'm working now, I'm more on the um, assessing side for guys looking to get their REOP, so their operational certificate. Um, so I'm seeing the applications, the number of applications coming through getting, you know, increasing uh, every, every week. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's definitely definitely showing a lot of strength in that industry, and I believe uh, with all these new types of aircraft and, and development that we're seeing, it's just going to open it right up. So, in industry is definitely going to be moving towards these things, utilizing them for whatever they need them to do. Um, and yeah, it's it's just endless. Well, it's interesting to see that the the opportunities that now exist for for aero modelers in, in that commercial sense. And, you know, I know a number of people that have, have made that tradition because a lot of these companies are looking for people that have radio control experience and also building experience because often they have to build a model or you know think about how to get a, a basic model airworthy 
and someone that has experience building Most airplanes definitely. can do it. And it's something that you never would have thought of 20 years ago as being an, an opportunity. But uh, but now, you know, I suppose the oldest person that I know that's been in the industry for a long time is a guy by the name of Joe Finicara, who was on the podcast, who's the secretary of the VNAA down here in Victoria. And he worked in the Defence Force and he was basically flying radio-controlled aircraft that the soldiers would shoot down to practice, like basically target practice for for trying to hit something that was flying in the air. And he's, yeah. he did that from a, in a young age kind of thing. Yep. That's how he got into it. And he said, oh, yeah, we just build these like trainer-like planes and take it off and they just shoot it down and go and grab another one and do it again kind of thing. And I'm like, well, I just didn't know that yeah. existed. But now yeah. that that drone thing, all the, the, the unmanned aircraft space is really going ahead in leaps and bounds. I'm still, I don't know what your opinion on this is, I'm still sitting on the fence as far as its commercial application because I still think there's some technology gaps like battery life and things like that. And then there's a whole raft of regulations that we need to jump through to get in like delivery drones and things like that. Defence Force, different kettle of fish. I, I definitely see a day when um, we'll be sending unmanned aircraft into battle, um, definitely on bombing runs and things mm. like that. You won't have to risk risk any any limbs doing that anymore. But what do you think about that that you know delivery drone commercial kind of space? Do you think it's going to happen well, in the short term? I mean, the regu- CASA, the regulator, obviously, they've got a job to do, and that's to keep you know people safe and property safe and all that sort of stuff from from all these things that that are going to be traversing our skies. Um, it really comes down to redundancy, Andrew. Basically, the more redundancy you can apply to to your platform the safer it's going to be. So, you know, you start off with something like a quadcopter. If you lose a motor on a quadcopter, that thing's going to come out of the sky no matter what. And there's a chance, there's a risk factor there. It's going to hit someone in the head or go through someone's windscreen or something like that. So, you know, let's let's build something with a bit of redundancy. Okay, let's build an octocopter. If we lose one or two motors, it's going to keep flying. So the more redundancy we can apply to these aircraft, the safer things are going to get and the more accessibility they're going to have to your delivery drones. Like Google Wing, for example, we've got that flying around I don't know, here in Logan delivering coffees and you know small food items and stuff like that. And it's because it's got a high level of redundancy. It's got two or three autopilot systems in it. It's got eight motors with eight propellers. So it, it can literally you know lose 50% of its power and still fly. So yeah, it's just a matter of you know applying those redundancies to to what people are bringing into the industry in those platforms and making it a safer safer platform. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I've never really anybody heard anybody talk about it in that context. And when you think about what we've learnt from full size aviation, the redundant systems that they have, it makes it makes a lot of sense. You know, really. Hmm. So. No, that's right. And, and CASA looks at the redundancy systems you have, you know, the more redundancy, the more chance you have of flying in a populous area. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, and I think there's a long way to go as far as regulations. Actually, I, I, I facilitated an, uh, an online discussion um, with a bunch of people uh, in, the, in the industry and uh, in, at various different levels. And it was quite a, an eye opener to see what people were doing. You, know, you you had everyone from like real estate agents who are using drones just for basic photography, which is you know neither here nor there. Now we know how to use them in that kind of context, all the way to the unmanned aircraft flying missions kind of thing, and talking to some of the engineers that were you know software engineers and things like that. That 
there's a truckload of work going on. I saw people in China, like China is really investing in unmanned aircraft. I was yeah, big time. I met a bunch of, um, I had dinner with a bunch of university university students who are all doing aerospace engineering, and uh, and they're all into aero modeling. They're actually volunteering at a at a, at a flying event, and uh, I said to them, "Are there jobs for you?" when you leave university, he goes, oh yeah, everybody here in this room will get a job straight away out of university. I said, doing what? And they said, drones, mm-hmm. you know, unmanned aircraft. Uh, yeah. that, that they're really fostering this development in unmanned aircraft and have for a long time. It's not just something that happened overnight. Um, and, you know, it. And said, there was something on the news down here in Victoria in the last week about a company that is doing like medicine delivery uh, and and doing one of those you know vertical takeoff but winged aircraft, which sort of to me makes a fair bit of sense in in having something like that. Um, mm. But then you're going to have those challenges such as weather and you know all that kind of thing. But as we know, everyone's chipping away at it, and something will end up happening. Uh, mm. I think Cass has uh, is, is sort of got a bit of a challenge, um, but uh, don't want to give away too much. But I actually have a big podcast coming up, maybe next week um, with a guy. I'm not going to give it all the details away, but just stay tuned because <laughs> I've got a guy coming up that's going to be able to sort of tell us what's happening in the US market as far as Excellent. unmanned aircraft and tracking RC model planes and what's been happening in that market. And I think the world is looking at the US when it comes to this kind of stuff from a regulation. Everyone's looking at each other going, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you yeah. doing? I'd love to get Casser on, actually. Now you've given me another idea because I've been searching for guests and I think, oh, you know, Casser, I'm coming for you. You used to advertise in a magazine. Give me an opportunity to come and tell us what you're thinking. So anyway, we'll get to we'll get to Casser. Now, back to Jets. Uh, yep. You've been through that learning phase with Jets. So what's some of the, uh, the tips that you've got for anyone looking to get into turbine Jets? Okay. Seek advice. Don't do what I did. <laughs> don't go. Don't go out there and buy the prettiest, fastest looking thing you can just because you can afford it. Party club. Um, yeah. <laughs> go to go to a club where you know there's jet flies there. Go talk to them. Speak to the guys. Find out what they like. What they think is suitable for a trainer or you know our first first time looking to get started into jets. Uh, you know, advice is is gold. It, it it's going to save you having a disastrous experience with your first jet. And um, yeah, and once once you get successful flights happening, you're just going to get that bug. And then you you can your second, your third jet, they're just going to get better, faster, bigger, and and so on. So yeah, that's that's my advice. Just just get out to the clubs. Start talking to the jet flies and, and find out what you know what they like and what you should be looking at. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, you know what, I think that advice really stands true for anyone getting into model aeroplanes, whether it be the old carbore or the jet or the glider. There's a lot of people that have gone before us that have made the mistakes that we can learn off. Yeah, and you know, you and I have made plenty of mistakes in the choice of planes, and uh, yeah. have worked out what gear is no good and what gear does work, and you know what gear you're gonna going to enjoy using and, and be reliable. So, exactly. yeah, big believer, you know, and I'll tell you what, even even though I haven't flown my jet and I know I'm going to fly my jet soon, I could not have done it without 
being able to access some people that have done it before, making a phone mm. call and saying, okay, what's this fuel situation? Where do I get it from? What oil do I need to use? How much oil do I need to use? You know, uh, how should I set up my transmitter for the start sequence and whatever it is? There's been a whole bunch of questions and I'm actually really, really looking forward to the first time I take it out and that new experience of, you know, learning something new in a kind of way. Uh, so it will happen. Are you going to? You gonna film it? Oh, look, you know what? I will get someone to film it because people won't believe yeah. me that I've said that I flew it. Because <laughs> I, I actually mentioned it in the podcast, I explained to people I haven't flown it, and it was mainly because we were in lockdown down here in Victoria, and so mm. I got the jet. Then we got put in lockdown for three months. Then you know, clubs were closed. Then clubs had limitations, and then the weather was no good. And then I was away. And so literally I had one opportunity to fly it, but I took that opportunity to go and fly a prop plane because I hadn't flown for so long. And then summer came mm. and I didn't want to go and fly it in summer. And then I hurt my shoulder. I'm making excuses, Derek. I'm making excuses. <laughs> but everything's looking up. Everything is looking up at the moment. I keep on looking at the jet going, it's gonna, it's coming. It's your turn next. So I'm going to go out this weekend, get some stick time, on, and then, uh, you know, or, it, worst it, case scenario, I might get up to that Wangaratta Jets event and because um, there's four days and if I can't maiden my plane in four days and something's wrong. Yeah, well, I can't think of a better place because you're going to have all the experienced pilots there. You're going to have a wealth of knowledge that you can tap into. Plus, you're going to have this endless runway. Yes. You know? so Everybody if, says if, the same thing. <laughs> if you're going to overshoot or, you know, come in a bit hot, you, you don't have to worry about it. You know, you're not going to run off the runway. Yeah. And that's exactly exactly my what a lot of other people have told me. It, nothing beats going there and just maidening the plane. All the people there, and everyone's thinking about jets. It's not as if, you know, I've got to wait for that glider to land before I can go and fly my jet. All the mm. all the know how is going to be there that I can um that I can tap into. Which uh, yeah, definitely definitely going to be happening at one of those events. I'm not that keen to actually fly it at my local club. Um, no, well, you, you're restricted in a lot of ways. You know, mm. runway. Uh, I don't know what your else your ceiling would be at the oh, local club. But I think we've got fifteen hundred. Oh well, then that'll be it. Sh it should be but okay yeah, from a that. And the main runway is long enough, and people do fly jets. But you know how I was saying earlier, I want that day where all I'm thinking about is turbine. I yeah. don't want to be going. Oh, I'm going to go and fly a glider now. Oh, now I'll fly my jet. It's just the jet is there for me to go to the jet events. And be surrounded by other jet people and just do a jet thing and yep. smell Kero all day and come back smelling like Kero <laughs> with a headache or something. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Now, Derek, we're almost at the end. And if you're an avid listener of the Flat Out RC podcast, you know that there is one question that I always end up with, and that is, what has been your favorite model to date? And give me oh. one. I'm, I'm, t I'm cracking down because people say to me, can I have two? And I'm like, no, you can have one. <laughs> I was very lenient early on, but I'm getting grumpier as I get older, so it's one. Yeah, you know what, Andrew? Um, I, I probably would have said, you know, go back a few months. I probably would have said the the SU27, but um, I, my most recent acquisition, the the F16, the big F16 from BVM, I have not had as much fun on that particular model than I have had with anything else for a long time. It, it re, revitalized my passion and love for, for flying models. So that's a lot to be said. Um, I, I look at that thing when I go into this chair and I go, geez, I'd love to just go for a fly right now. You know, so uh, that, that would be my choice, the, the, the BVM F-16. Well, 
I'm, I'm, I'm just jumping on now to see a photo of it. I, I haven't looked at it. Is it, is it black and white? Um, it, it's it's the Netherlands the Netherlands display scheme. So yeah, it's it's like a, it's got like zebra stripes on it, black gray. Oh yeah, oh that's beautiful. Yeah, it's it's just such and, and funny that I say that now. When I first started flying turbines, I mean I, I loved F-16s right from the beginning, but I looked at those F-16s and said, "There's no way I'm getting an F-16." That mm. just looks like too much of a handful. Yeah, yeah. I can just see that's what I say. Disaster. And, and you know, now thinking about F-16s, I've had three of them. Um, <laughs> I, I started off with a little one-eighth, then I went to uh, the next size up, which one-six scale, and now up to the big one, the one-fifth scale. And it, they just got easier as they got bigger. They got easier to fly, as most people tell you anyway. Yeah. But yeah, the fun factor is through the roof. Yeah, totally love it. Was that one of the BVM kits where you basically buy it, drop your turbine in and go? Yeah, a plug and play, they call it. So it comes with all the servos. All you've got to do is put your batteries in, your turbine in. Obviously, if you want to add a gyro, um, yeah. So it, I think it took me two days from out of the box really? into the sky. Yeah, and so. did Tyson Dodd get that for you? Yeah, Tyson is a dealer for BVM. And by the way, I'm just looking at photos on your Facebook page of your SU27. Yeah. You're an idiot. You should have kept that yeah. plane. That's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. What were you thinking? Yeah. Oh, that yeah, is well, yeah, a beautiful plane. I know. Plane, I know. It, um, yeah, it's just I, I had my fun with it. And, um, yeah, like I said, if, if it wasn't for the F-16, that would have been my choice, my favourite. Well, Derek, look, you, you've really owned some beautiful jets. And you know what? You're a true gentleman. You're a nice guy. And Thanks, you, mate. You're doing good things as the uh, – turbine el presidente up in queensland <laughs> and uh really flying the flag for jets quite proudly and uh all i could say is keep up the good work thank you very much andrew about to leave already packing come with me i'm not really asking we'll get away to a place where we don't know Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Thanks to Derek Ponterolo for joining me, spending the time and having a chat. He's such a good guy. Went on and had a bit of a further chat after the uh, after the recording, which is always fun. Stay tuned. A lot coming from Flat Out RC. Let's just say next week guest is a big one. International guest from the US. Let's just say a very influential person in the aero modeling scene so stay tuned jump on to the flat out rc facebook page and instagram page stay up to date with what's happening at flat out rc but uh, let's just say next week is an episode not to miss so stay tuned i'm gonna say stay tuned this episode it's like the word of the week is stay tuned but you should don't forget to subscribe to everything that flat out rc does hope you're getting out and having a fly hope that you're not in lockdown uh if you're elsewhere in the world stay safe stay well and of course keep on flying now looking back eyes on the freeway bonnie and clyde a classic cliche we're on the road